Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about the problem of suffering. How do we as open theists deal with suffering, deal with evil in the world? Very recently, there was an accident in Colorado. And this was interesting because it killed an entire family. The last name of Pals, Jameson and Catherine Pals, and it killed three of their children as well. This is a family from Minnesota, and they were on their way to a training conference in Colorado so they could become missionaries to Japan. So they're on their way to dedicate their lives to God, and a truck driver, a careless truck driver, slams into them, killing them all, killing all five of this family, three beautiful young children. This family seems to have been members of John Piper's church. John Piper is a Calvinist out of Minnesota who preaches, and John Piper does the eulogy for this family. And I think it's interesting. I think it's funny. He alludes to and draws upon the Psalms pretty heavily. The Psalms, as a whole, are not Calvinistic. A lot of the Psalms are accusatory towards God, saying, Where are you, God? Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you writing this wrong? And it really assumes that God is uh, either being negligent or sometimes God is falsely or in vain punishing people, people who don't deserve to be punished. And they say, why are you doing this, God? They don't assume everything is controlled. They don't assume everything is to God's glory. They don't assume that there's a better plan for all ills in the world. They're not Calvinists. They're not Calvinists at all. And alluding to very open theistic psalms. It's probably more of an emotional response on John Piper's behalf rather than something in line with his Calvinist presuppositions. And we really see this in how Calvinists normally preach. When they're preaching on systematic theology, their tone and what they talk about will be quite different than when they're talking about just normal subjects, interactions with other people, interactions with God, praying, there's there's a disconnect. There's a deep disconnect in Calvinist theology and sermons that are not on negative theology. This incident, this uh, death of these missionaries is interesting because I recently had a conversation with a Calvinist. He's in his mid-30s to late 30s, and he's having a crisis of faith. He doesn't know what the point is anymore of it all. He doesn't know what the point is of Christianity. He doesn't like these fake Christians pretending everything's good and ignoring pain and suffering in this world. Pain and suffering that he can't describe, that he can't can't fathom why it is allowed to happen. And this Calvinist that I was talking to, he lives in Minnesota and was acquaintances with the family that died. He met him before at a party. He knew who they were. And so this hit home, especially for him, and just intensified his crisis of faith. Why is there evil? Where is God in this world? Some open theists have uh, their own answers. Everyone should check out Michael Say's book, Why Do the Innocent Suffer? I believe it's free on several sites. I went and I bought the Kindle edition because Kindle editions are always good to quote from because of the auto-formatting and auto-citation. But the PDF is also floating around for free. Buy it on Kindle if you want to support the author. Myself, I have uh, a different answer than Saya does. And my answer pretty much mirrors N.T. Wright's take on this all. 
And N.T. Wright writes this, Part of our trouble is that in the Western world we've assumed that God is, as it were, the celestial CEO of this thing called the universe incorporated. And then, as one Woody Allen character says, I sort of believe in God, but it looks like he's basically an underachiever. In other words, he's not a very good CEO, and he's not good at running the show. But actually, the world is much more complicated than that. It's not simply a machine or a business with God as a CEO. God is involved in it in ways which is hard for us now, particularly in the modern world, to grasp. When we read the stories of Jesus and see what's going on in those stories, perhaps we need to rethink the meaning of the word God around who we see in Jesus. Then all sorts of things become clearer and into sharper focus. It's not simply a matter that God has blundered, has he got it wrong, but no, he's been in the middle of this mess with us. He's taken the worst of the world, can do unto himself. He has launched his project of new creation. That's what the story of Jesus is about. The N.T. Wright view is God is not the CEO. God's not just controlling the universe as like a micromanager. Instead, God is involved intricately in the world. And we really get this sense from the book of Job. A lot of scholars write about the book of Job, and they write that it's about retributive justice. Retributive justice is justice that's merited or warranted. Like, if you do evil in this world, if you're a bad guy, then God's going to come down and punish you. And David Kleins, David Kleins is the premier Job scholar, and he really explores this theme throughout Job. How Job accuses God. He says, you know, where are you, God? These wicked people, they are prospering, and the righteous, they suffer. The, the entire world justice is reversed and of the way it should be. And when God says that Job spoke of him what is right and Job's friends did not, Job's friends were the ones saying that God punishes people based on their actions. And Job must have had some secret sin that God was punishing. And God hated this advice. God hated this idea. And Job's friends are punished in the end for this. But Job, it said, spoke of God what's right, what's right. And David Klein says that it's Job's accusations against God that there's no retributive justice in this world. God's not going around and making sure every single wicked person is punished and every single righteous person is blessed. True in the story, Job is blessed specifically from God for his righteousness before and after the events in the book of Job. But that's not God's normal course of action. And God says, you're right. And this accusation that Job had against God, that God wasn't doing his duty, God's saying, yeah, that's that's not my duty. I do not have to do that duty. It's not required of me to do. And David Kleins has a lot of different articles about this. There are certain Baptist scholars that I also quote elsewhere with very similar views about retributive justice. If you just Google retributive justice in Job, probably come across those types of articles. But that's how it seems that the world does work. All sorts of wicked people prosper. They prosper in ridiculous fashions. Hugh Hefner of Playboy, amazingly rich, amazingly old. Where's the justice in that? Where's the justice? Where's the justice? All sorts of criminals live to old age. A mouse tongue, Stalin, all sorts of wicked, wicked people lived till old age. They lived a long time. And no justice will happen. No justice was brought upon their heads. And people hope and pray that the justice will be had in the afterlife. 
That wasn't the biblical idea. That wasn't the Old Testament idea specifically. They weren't looking for justice in some afterlife. The afterlife was an afterthought. And they believed and they accused God of not performing justice in the present. The hope was and the hope is in a day of the Lord where God returns to earth and executes judgment on the wicked. On that day, people will rise, people will resurrect, and God will perform judgment on them. But ultimately, fundamentally, this is a restoration of the earth. This is a judgment of the people living and the dead on earth. If God's not the CEO of the earth, if God is not micromanaging the earth, how does that work with pain, with suffering? Number one, that means God's not responsible for it. God is not actively seeking that the pain and suffering happens. God's not actively causing it. It's not part of his plan. God didn't foresee it. All that, all that is uh, Calvinism. All that is Arminianism. It's not a biblical idea. You don't see the Bible talking about God foreseeing and foreknowing all this pain that ever is going to happen on earth. And often when it does talk about pain, it's usually God is causing the pain as judgment. So God is known to intervene. And the authors of the Bible, they know this. And that's why we see these desperate, heartfelt prayers throughout the Psalms, for example. They understand that God is listening. God could hear their prayers and they desperately beg him to act. That is my number one advice for people in pain. So let's talk real quickly about my own story. A couple years ago, my oldest son, I have twins, you know, and they were turning six. And not that long after they turned six, uh, Caleb, my oldest, he developed a very large lump on his neck. And, you know, we brought him into the doctor several times and they're saying it could be some sort of, you know, fluid buildup or something and it'll go away. And and we we got it tested finally. We got it uh, biopsied. We got it biopsied and it turned out to be leukemia. This leukemia was a little bit more hardy than normal childhood leukemia. This was T-cell all. Affects maybe 15-20% to 20% of children and has lower success rates in treating the cancer. So here's my child and my child has cancer. And I have to deal with this. I have to go through and watch him suffer watch him suffer through all sorts of treatments they put him under they installed a port in his chest and in his stomach i saw him frail and needing food we had to basically force feed him food because his appetite was just just destroyed just destroyed he couldn't eat anything and he couldn't he didn't want to eat anything he was withering away and this is painful this is really painful to deal with as an adult seeing your child suffer through what they shouldn't suffer through. No child should have to suffer through cancer. I'm not saying I'm unique or anything. There's a lot of suffering that goes on in this world. There's a lot of children worldwide that get cancer, have no treatment, and die. There's a lot of childhood deaths in war and genocides and massacres. There's a lot of pain and evil. But I suffered through some evil with my own son. Watching him get treated for cancer watching him try to struggle with the idea you know that he might die he might die the long-term survival rate for t-cell all 
it's maybe like 70 or 80 percent and we got bumped up to the medium risk category or there's there's three risk categories usually people they go into remission fairly quickly after treatment has started we didn't we didn't so we had to deal with complications we had to deal with hospital visits we were in the hospital on and off for at least three months of staying overnight in the hospital with my son dealing with him cleaning up uh, after nights where he you know he couldn't control his bowel movements and you know it's just ugly so how did i deal with this number one you need to remain calm you have to assess the situation i mean it's okay to cry it's okay to talk to people and go through the situation and talk about pain and and what you feel and and what you hope to happen and what your fears are but remember fears are just fears and the future is not set and so don't dwell on what may happen second piece of advice is pray you have to pray you got to get a prayer support network you see praying all the time in the bible david when he's praying to god he attempts to make deals with God. And I I know my dad did so. I know I did so. Saying, you know, God, if you heal my son, I will do this. Or, Or even, you know, God, just take me instead of my son. That's how you pray. Bargaining with God. Letting God know you're serious and you want his action and you're willing to give up to get that Do we think that God answered every prayer in the Old Testament every time someone in the Psalms begged for God's intervention? It didn't necessarily have to happen. And just as in the case of Job, God might respond and say, I don't have to act. And that's why we need to beg God. We need to pray fervently for God to listen to us. My Calvinist friend, he said, you know, what if your son does die? You know, that's indication that God did not hear my prayer. God did not respond to my prayer. And yeah, it would be very painful. And yeah, it would uh, probably cause some sort of crisis of faith. But plenty of people go through it day in, day out. They pray for their children and their children still die. These are firm believers. Uh, The believers in Colorado, they were God-fearing family, a God-fearing family that wanted to dedicate their life to God. And they're dead Some people say that when we pray, we should not accuse God of wrongdoing or of negligence. And that's not a biblical standard. You see that in the Bible quite a lot, that people are blaming God. And, you know, they're not under these Calvinist assumptions. You don't see that in the Bible. They don't say everything happens for a reason. That's modern nonsense that people impose upon the Bible. The Bible writers were of the same opinion as just normal people who are suffering that they don't know why it's happening. They think that God needs to act and God needs to solve the situation. It's not for some stupid higher goal or something like that. That's just modern additions to the text. That's additions to Christianity, additions to Judaism, as not found in the Bible. When Paul says that all things work together for the good of those who believe in him, that's in the context of people dying for God. And what his point is there is that we're ultimately going to be vindicated in the resurrection. His point is not that God has some meticulous, weird goal for all our suffering. That's not what he's talking about. 
So going through suffering, you read a lot of Psalms, you read Job, you try to understand Psalms, you try to understand Job. Now when I was a kid, I hated Psalms, I didn't like it, it, it seemed kind of silly and poetic and stuff like that, but it's, it's real. It is real prayers written by real people for real purposes. And just the raw emotional theology comes through the text. And you understand how Israel lived and how Israel prayed and what their innermost thoughts were. It's not like a story narrative that just tells historical events. This tells someone's inner thoughts about God and their relationship with Yahweh. It's real and it's raw. Psalms 88, that's uh, probably the darkest psalm. And it's a psalm by the sons of Korah, one of the sons of Korah. And if you remember, most of the Korah's family was sucked alive to death at Mount Sinai. But some of them survived. It's hyperbolic when it says this entire family was destroyed. There were some survivors. And this is what he writes in Psalm 88. I'm just going to start at verse 4. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. Adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in the darkness and depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up. I cannot get out. My eyes waste away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark, your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved ones and friends you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. A lot of these psalms of accusations against God end on a positive note. God, I I know you are going to act. I know you're going to write this wrong. Psalm 88 does not do this. Listen to his language. He says, you are doing this to me, Lord. You are making me suffer. Although I am praying daily, I am praying earnestly for you to deliver me. He says, what good is it going to be to kill me? Can I praise you in the grave? No. If you want praises, Lord, save me alive. And I will declare your works to the world. So he's, he's going through bargaining. He's bargaining with God. And if we understand the stages of grief, bargaining is one of them. And it, it's a healthy thing to do. If we remember the stages of grief from, I don't know, it's kind of popular in popular culture. There's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. In my own situation, in my own case, I kind of skipped the denial and anger I was never angry with God. I was never angry with the world. I never denied that it was happening. I just accepted, you know, what comes is what is. You just got to deal with life as it comes. And maybe a Calvinist, maybe their theology is going to bring them to anger. Why, Lord? What good is going to come of this? Why is this in your plan? Why is this happening to me? Why, Lord? Couldn't you have achieved your objectives Otherwise, 
without children suffering, children dying, Lord. I didn't have that. It might be just because of my personality that I skipped this denial and anger. But I think open theism plays a part in it. God doesn't want this suffering. God doesn't want my children dying. God doesn't want any children anywhere on earth dying. And it's it's not part of some strategic plan. It's not some sort of secret will of God that we have to decipher the true meaning of. It's not God's killing people's children to teach them a lesson. It's not what's happening here. And I never thought that. My son never thought that. And, you know, you could deal with life a lot better knowing sometimes things just happen for no reason. No reason. I have my son here, and uh, let's talk to him real quick about his experience having leukemia. Caleb, when you first got leukemia, did you understand the risks involved? Um, no, I didn't. I had no idea what was going on. After you learned that leukemia could be fatal, what was your reaction? Did that scare you? Yeah, it scared me a lot, and, um, well, I was really scared that I would die, but then now I'm in maintenance, and I'm not that scared anymore. So when you were going through treatment, was that very hard on you? What was the hardest part? Um, the hardest part was getting access, and sometimes I got poked in the arm, and that hurt. When we're talking about access, do you mean needles into your body to inject the chemotherapy, correct? Yeah, correct. So during this time, did you think that God was ever doing this to you? No. Did you ever wonder why God would let this happen to you? Well, sometimes I wondered, sometimes I didn't. So how did you pray to God? Did you pray to God to heal you? And how did you pray to God to heal you? Um, well, I did pray to God if he could heal me. And then, um, well, I sa- I prayed to him and said, um, God, please heal me from my leukemia treatment and help me get through it. And do you believe he answered your prayer? Yeah, I did. And he's re- he's been helping me through it all um, the time. So do you like life? Yeah, I like life a lot. And I like being with my brother Cohen and playing games with him. And he's super fun. And yeah, I like playing multiplayer games with him like Minecraft and Terraria and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's pretty good. So are you pretty happy with the life you lived in spite of your leukemia? Uh-huh. I'm pretty happy with the life I lived. and. Do you have any regrets? Uh, not really. No regrets. So back when I told you that there's people out there that believe that your cancer came from God, that God caused your cancer, what would you say to those people? I would say that it was not caused by God, and I would tell them that it just was an organ that didn't, that didn't work in your body. I think your reaction when I first told you about these people was a disbelief. You thought these people were silly, that they would claim that this evil is from God. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's correct. So what would you say to someone who has to suffer through what you suffered through? How would you tell them how to pray to God and God's role in all of this? 
Well, I would tell them to pray to God with, uh, like, God, please help me get through all the hard stuff and help me get through my cancer treatment. And just please help me with everything that I have to do. All right, Caleb, thank you for uh, talking to us today. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard uh, dealing with a child who, who might die. Uh, Caleb, he wasn't the youngest child there. There were kids who were uh, two or three years old with cancer, with leukemia, and they don't know what's going on. At least you could talk to a six-year-old and say, you know, this is why we're doing what we're doing. We are trying to make you get better. You know, it might hurt in the short term, but in the long term, you know, this this is our chance to help you survive. This is our chance to give you a fuller life. Just bear with us and and just try and strive. You can't reason with the younger kids. The younger kids, they just have to suffer through it. And as you sit there in the hospital, you might stay in the night, you will hear the screams, the cries from the other rooms. Kids who've gotten in accidents, bad accidents, kids with uh, cancer, leukemia, a children's ward is just a terrible place to be, a terrible place to work. And so, you know, if you're a worker in a child ward, a major respect for what you do and dealing with the pain and suffering each day. As a parent or even as a patient, people will often say to you, you know, God has a plan for all of this. Nonsense, nonsense. God is not torturing my child uh, for some secretive plan. And, you know, there's different approaches that you can use. You could use a polite approach saying, I don't believe that at all. I don't think that's a biblical idea. And a lot of times there are things that happen for no apparent reason in the Bible, like the Tower of Shalom. It falls and it kills a bunch of people. And Jesus says, you know, that that could be an illustration that, uh, you know, if we don't repent, we will likewise suffer. But that didn't happen for any reason. That didn't happen for some sort of divine plan. Sometimes things just happen. Maybe the most polite response would just nod your head, say, okay, that's the least confrontational. But chances like this, you know, you want to point out to people, not not always, not always is there a plan. Sometimes, sometimes God punishes people or sometimes God puts his own prophets through just utter misery. But they're usually in direct communication with God, learning why he's doing what he's doing. So again, here's my advice. You start uh, suffering, you start suffering tragedy in your life. Stay calm, stay focused, understand, you know, what's happening is happening. You can't change reality. You can't change what has already happened. It's done and gone. And all we have left is how we are going to deal with the situation. Involve God, call upon God for help, call upon God for redemption. Look for support, look for support. And keep in mind, not always, not always will things go in your favor. You always read these news stories about parents saying, I know that God has a plan and God will keep my child safe if there's like a missing child. And then the child ends up dead. As the Apostle Paul says, God works all things for the good of those who serve him. And in that, in the context, it's death, death. Sometimes people die. But the point is, the ultimate thing that we're looking forward to, the ultimate goal, is redemption. The day of the Lord, where God is going to right all the wrongs. There's going to be a resurrection, and the wicked will be judged. The wicked will be expelled from the earth, 
and the saints, the righteous, will inherit the earth. No matter what happens, good or bad, we have hope in a future. We have hope in a future eternity with God. So how do we respond to people who have gone through tragedy? Their child dies. Number one, don't be preaching. Don't uh, give them a theological sermon. Even James White says this. He was like a hospital chaplain for a while. And no one wants to hear a theological sermon if their kid dies. And James White learned this firsthand, especially Calvinism. No one wants to hear that nonsense. You can comfort them uh, politely and uh, say, you know, this is not God's will. And you just say, this is not God's will. God did not want your child to die. Look forward to seeing your child again in the resurrection. We will see our loved ones again. God is going to right the wrongs that are on earth that we experience every day. We will have a happy life. But mostly listen. That's probably the most comforting thing you could do to someone in pain is just listen to them tell you about their feelings, about what they are thinking, and and just their mindset. Listening solves quite a lot of problems in relationships. We are about out of time, so I'll just throw in one more thing. You know, I don't know why my son got leukemia. I suspect it's uh, because of poor life decisions I made when I was young. This one time, I went out and I bought a Nickelback CD. That's probably the cause of it. Just a joke, but, you know, I gotta throw some sort of lightheartedness in here somewhere. Joking about your pain, joking about your misery, that's a coping mechanism, and it does really help. Don't fault other people for joking about tragedy, and if someone tries to criticize you for joking about tragedy, shut them down. They don't need to be talking. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, please uh, put those on the God is Open website, or feel free to start a thread on the God is Open Facebook companion page. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 